And uh, another one of these chapters, brace yourself, probably don't read this type of stuff very often in the Bible, but it's here and God has put it here for a purpose, and that's for us to study it and learn from it. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1, imitate me just as I also imitate Christ. Now I praise you, brethren, that you remember me in all things and keep the traditions just as I delivered them to you. But I want you to know that the head of every man is Christ, the head of woman is man, and the head of Christ is God. Every man praying or prophesying, having his head covered, dishonors his head. But every woman who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonored her head. For that is one and the same as if her head were shaved. But if a woman is not covered, let her also be shorn. But but if it is shameful for a woman to be shorn or shaved, let her be covered. For a man indeed ought not to cover his head, since he is the image and glory of God, but woman is the glory of man. For man is not from woman, but woman from man. Nor was man created for woman, but woman for the man. Let's pray. Father, I just pray, Lord, that you will just open up your word to us this morning and uh, encourage us by it and speak to us, Lord, meet us where uh, we are at, Lord. We come into this room, Lord, uh, really weak, God, with many different distractions. Some of us come in here, Lord, with uh, just confusion. Some of us come in here, Lord, uh, having stumbled, Lord, recently. Some of us come in here, Lord God, just on a wave of joy. But Lord, we know that the Holy Spirit is not encumbered by any of that, and that he speaks to all of us where we're at. We just pray, Father God, that you do that work in us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, please be seated. Okay, so what's all this about? Shaved heads, head coverings, help us, God, to understand what this is. Now, this is one of those chapters, if uh, you don't uh, read after just having read the chapters before it, you're going to come up with uh, some really strange conclusions. Women are going to start showing up in church with Easter bonnets every Sunday and... uh, Men with bald heads, uh, whatever, uh, and some of you guys are already there. God bless you. But, um, <laughs> but, but uh, anyway, uh, it's important that we, that we read this uh, in context. That's why we read chapter by chapter uh, at Calvary Chapel. What is he talking about, Paul, here? Well, uh, he's been writing about the last ch- uh, a few chapters immediately uh, preceding this. He's been writing about the freedom we have in Christ uh, and the, he's been writing about uh, how a Christian is supposed to use that freedom. And Christianity supremely is about men and women being freed by Jesus Christ. Jesus said in John chapter 8, we've been quoting this verse a lot in the last couple months. If the Son of Man sets you free, you're free indeed. A, a, a man or woman 
who is set free by Christ is free indeed. They're uh, set free from rules and regulations and traditions and religious restrictions that get in between him or her and God. And, the, and so the world, it's literally stuffed loaded uh, with rules and regulations and traditions uh, that have uh, uh, had the effect of getting in between uh, men and women and, and their Lord and their Creator. So I, I challenge you, I have an honest challenge to, to each and every one of you, that sometime uh, this summer on a sunny, warm afternoon, I, I just challenge you, this is your homework, okay, for the, this summer. I'll, I'll ask you what happened this fall. Go out and take a survey, and you ask people, just go up to them, just be bold, just go up to a stranger, go up to strangers, ask a bunch of people. So, you know, what... Um, I'm taking a survey. What do you think it takes to be a righteous person? Can I just take a few minutes of your time? I'm out here taking a survey. What do you think it takes to be a righteous person? Almost certainly, he or she uh, will give you a list of things that uh, they think that they need to be or you need to do to be a righteous person. Well, I challenge you, after they've given you this list, to ask them, well, is there anything else? And more likely than not, they will give you a bunch of other things. I challenge you to go, well, okay, now, is there anything else at all? And if they really don't get annoyed or frustrated with you, if they like have nothing better to do than talk to you, uh, they'll just go on and on. And, and after a while, there'll be this uh, uh, incredibly long list. And you, you talk to 10 different people, you'll end up with a quagmire, a gigantic swamp load, a, a Grand Canyon of just rules and, and regulations and traditions of what people think they need to do to follow uh, to be righteous. And they're very lost and very confused and, and burdened by it all. In fact, if you get a person to keep on answering, uh, notice their countenance as they're talking. And how it just begins to burden them down, even talking about it. Well, Jesus says, as the Son of Man sets you free, you are free indeed. By that he meant that he, Jesus, fulfilled all righteousness. Uh, he filled all the requirements of the law. And 2 Corinthians 5.21 says this, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, that we in him might become the righteousness of God. And Paul says, that's why Paul says in Romans 3, there is now with Jesus a righteousness apart from the law. So if you've been born again, if you've been given new birth by Jesus Christ, if uh, you've been freed from the swamp lands of trying to be a righteous person on your own, uh, it, 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 it's just such a freeing thing. It, it's such a liberating thing. There's a, a rest, a peace, and a joy there. But... Paul says in chapters 8, 9, and 10 of 1 Corinthians. Be careful how you use your freedom. All things are permissible. Not all things build up, he says. Don't use your freedom in such a way that it hurts another person. Don't use your freedom in such a way that it causes someone to speak evil 
of Jesus Christ. On the contrary, a follower of Jesus Christ should always be willing to limit their freedom for love's sake. So we read in chapter 9, verse 19, for though, this is Paul speaking, for though I am free from all men, I have made myself a servant to all, that I may win the more. And to the Jew I became a Jew, that I might win Jews. To those who are under the law is under the law, that I might win those who are under the law. To those who are without the law is without the law not being with the law towards God, but under law towards Christ, that I might win those who are without the law. To the weak I become weak, that I might win the weak. I become all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. Then in chapter 10, verse 32, he says, Give no offense. Now, don't offend anyone, either the Jew or the Greek or the church of God, just as I also please all men in all things, not seeking my own profit, but the profit of many that they may be saved. And then he says in verse 1, imitate me just as I also imitate Christ. And so when Paul is asking them to imitate him, he's asking them to imitate him uh, him really in in this area, this uh, verse uh, is quoted off in verse 1, but it, it too has a context. He's particularly telling them, look, it's in this area. Don't go off and use your freedom in Christ to hurt someone, to use it in any way that's not loving towards them, or so that anyone would speak evil of Christ. And so when Paul uh, was around Jews, he's, saying, he's telling these Corinthians, imitate me as I also imitate Christ. And when Paul was around Jews in order to win Jews, uh, he respected Jewish law and tradition. If he was around Jews, they, Jews being kosher, you know, no pork, no lobster, no catfish. If you're trying to be kosher, sorry, no fried catfish, no fried Cajun catfish. It doesn't matter how much you like going to New Orleans and eating that. If you're trying to be kosher, uh, none of that. Uh, and, and, and so uh, you wouldn't see Paul ministering to Jews in, in Jerusalem. You wouldn't hear him say, well, you know, I'm ordering takeout now and hope you don't mind. I'm ordering from Jimmy the Gentile, you know, and he has the best uh, roast pork and, uh, uh, and fried catfish in all of Jerusalem. And don't get started with me on that kosher food thing. I'm free in Christ. I'm free in Christ. Uh, so uh, uh, where's, the, where's the phone number to Jimmy the Gentile? No, Paul didn't use his freedom to hurt or offend anyone. Uh, like, I love what he says in Colossians chapter 3, verse 14. Above all things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. So what was going on in Corinth? They weren't doing that. They were being really selfish with their freedom. So when Paul says in verse 1 of chapter 11, imitate me just as I imitate you, he's pleading with them to get a clue. Quit using your freedom in a selfish way. He says, yes, all things are permissible, but not all things build up. And God didn't put us here for us. He put us here to uh, uh, build up people around us. And so... um, That, believe it or not, is the back covering for all this stuff about head coverings and shaved heads. Verse 2, Now I praise you, brethren, that you remember me in all things and keep the traditions just as I deliver them to you. 
But I want you to know that the head of every man is Christ, the head of a woman is man, and the head of, a, of Christ is God. Every man praying or prophesying, having his head covered, dishonors his head. But every woman who prays or prophesies uh, with her head uncovered dishonors her head, for that is one and the same as if her head were shaved. And he goes on, actually, for the next uh, uh, 10 verses, verse uh, 13, judge among yourself, is it proper for a woman to pray to God with her head uncovered? And, and, and so he, he gets into this theme. And so here's what's going on. In the Corinthian culture, just as in the uh, Mediterranean or Middle Eastern culture today, uh, many of the women uh, wore head shawls or a head covering or something to cover their head, particularly married women. Uh, now, we've uh, gone into great lengths to talk about um, uh, Corinth and what it was like uh, living in Corinth. In Corinth, the only women who did not wear head coverings were prostitutes. And so we knew there was many, many of them in Corinth. It was the sex capital of the Roman Empire, and, and this is how they presented themselves as being available. Actually, the priestesses uh, in the temple to Aphrodite uh, offered themselves for sex and sensuality, and it was an, a, supposedly an act of worship. And so they, they, this was, what was one of the signs that they, they didn't have a head covering. And so you have this backdrop, and then you have what you have is, is some of the women in Corinth coming from that very lifestyle, other women coming from whatever lifestyle they may come from. It was really heavy things that they were coming out of, as we read in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, idolatry, fornication, sodomy, whatever. Uh, they were coming out of that. That's what we read in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. But So some of these women heard the message, uh, when the Son of Man sets you free, you're free indeed. That's Jesus speaking himself. Uh, and Paul saying, you're no longer under the law, you're under grace. And Paul also saying, you're... you're you know, all things are lawful uh, to you now. Uh, they heard these things. They started showing up uh, at church with no head covering. Or if they re- some of them were really in your face uh, free, and they came up with shaved heads. You know, we, we tend to think that, uh, you know, when we see that kind of weirdness today, that that's something new. No, it's not. I mean, Corinthian was sort of, Corinth was an in-your-face sort of radically pagan society. And it would have been kind of freakish for even some of us with everything we've seen to, to, to show uh, uh, up there. And, and, and so they're coming to church this way, and it's, it's really freaking people out. I mean, it's like some of, if, if it's like in our church that some of the guys start showing up in bathing suits, you know. Uh, 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 you know, I'm free in Christ, uh, and, and, and uh, I'm talking about Christian guys, by the way. Free in Christ, I'm not, you know, no shirt, no... No shoes, whatever, or women in their bikinis, or, or, or whatever. We're, we're free in Christ. Now, I'm talking about people born again uh, showing up like that. Women unbelievers, uh, men unbelievers, they want to show up with bikinis and bathing suits. Bring them in. Let's teach them the gospel. Let's uh, share the good news with them. But Paul is telling these Corinthians, you know, that's not Jesus. That's not the love of Christ. That is, is sort of flaunting your freedom for you. It's, why don't you respect the culture, cover your head when you gather as a church. Men, respect the culture, keep your head uncovered. And so uh, this is uh, what Paul is saying. Now, then what Paul does, 
which is what he often does. He's just this enormously gifted writer inspired by the Holy Spirit. He uses this thing about head coverings. And then he, what he does is he uses the imagery of the head covering to instruct them on the role of the husband and wife in marriage. Verse 3, but I want you to know that the head of every man is Christ, the head of a woman is man, and the head of, a, of Christ is God. Not a very popular message today. That word head means authority. So you could just as well substitute the word authority for covering in verse 3, but I want you to know that the authority of every man is Christ, the authority of woman is man, and the authority of Christ is God. And so you know, uh, this, is the, you know, this is the type of thing that people can really struggle with. And, 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 you know, what's this all about? It, it seems like Paul is saying that women are inferior and, or that women are less important than men. The thing is, that's not what the Word of God teaches. Turn with me to Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3, verse 28. Actually, verse um, 26. Speaking to them, all the men and women in this church in Galatia. For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And so, the Word of God teaches that men and women are equal in the eyes of God. It's plain and simple. And this, by the way, was a revolutionary teaching at the time. Women at this time were basically nothing more than a piece of property. And Jesus changed all of that. Sort of another sermon for another day, but he changed all of that. In Christ, as Paul said, there is neither male nor female. Uh, men and women are equal. So then what is uh, Paul referring to in 1 Corinthians chapter 11? Well, by saying... In verse 3, but I want you to know, the head of every man is Christ, that every woman is man, and the head of every Christ is God. Paul is not saying that men and women are not equal. However, he is speaking here of a God-ordained order within the home between husbands and wives. That, that a husband has been designated by God as the spiritual leader of the home. Now, Paul knows that there are going to be people offended by that. Actually, the Holy Spirit knows that. And so, real interesting uh, what he, uh, the Holy Spirit says here. He says, that, uh, the, notice here, the head of every man is Christ. The head of every woman is man. And then he says, the head of Christ is God. Now, that's an interesting statement. The head of Christ or the authority over Christ is God. Is, is Christ less important than God? Is Christ lower than God? Is 
Is he a lesser than God? No, he is equal to God. He is God. But however, as the son, he submitted to the father. There's order even in the Godhead, even within the Trinity. Jesus said in John 6, 38, I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And so God always establishes order. Always. Even in the Godhead. Even, and, and he does so in the family. Now, I'm not going to go into this morning what leadership and submission look like in a godly marriage. We have a series on that on the website. I encourage you to go and listen to that. There are very many bizarre misconceptions and fears and strange thinking about what biblical submission and biblical leadership are. But let me say this. When a husband leads in a marriage like Jesus Christ leads, and when a wife submits in a marriage like Jesus Christ submits, what you are left with is something so beautiful, so stable in a society that marriage is anything but uh, stable, so blessed, so filled with joy. Uh, what you are left with is something that the gates of hell will never, ever prevail against. Something so secure. What you're left with is something that will be incredibly fruitful, 30, 60, 100-fold, just as Jesus says in the, in the parable uh, of the sower, God's way is always the best way. Uh, and so, then he goes on to say, for a man indeed, in verse 7, for a man indeed ought not to cover his head, since he is the image and glory of God, but woman is the glory of man. For man is not from woman, but woman from man, nor was man created for the woman, but woman for the man. Now, Paul is referring here to the creation story in Genesis chapter 2. Uh, it says there in uh, Genesis chapter 2, it says, Now the Lord God had formed all the ground, all the beasts of the field, all the birds of the air. He brought them to the man, Adam, uh, to see what he would name them. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds of the air, and all the beasts of the field. And so uh, we are talking uh, the most incredible playpen of all time. I mean, this was incredible. You know, this guy, Adam, you know, he had hippopotamuses, he had uh, gorillas, he had armadillos. And, and listen, they liked him. This is before the fall. They liked him. You know, hippos would come up to him and lick him on the face or whatever. Gorillas would, like, wrestle him and, 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 and things like that. And, and you know, whatever. Uh, the, the hens would come up in, in, you know, door service with their eggs. But, you know, it was just incredible uh, uh, order in creation. And, and Adam is, is just, this really, really speaks to, the, to how much just God loves us and wants to bless us. How it really was his intention for us to, to just bless us in that, that perfect uh, environment. What a scene. But it says in Genesis chapter 2 that God said that scene, or he saw that scene, he saw it, and he said, what did he say? It is not good for man to be alone. So I was thinking about 
that, and I was thinking, of, but you know, I, I think that I can really relate to just a piece of what God was thinking. I mean, I, I just think of me and all my stuff, just like me and my playpen that God has given me, and all my stuff. No, Stephanie, is all my stuff trying to get by. I mean, I can totally see God just looking at that scene and saying, that is one sorry-looking dude. <laughs> and I, I really, honestly, I, I, you know, but, 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 you know, but then I, I, I can see him saying that, but, you know, but I know what he needs. He needs Stephanie. Yeah, you're right, God. I agree. Give me Stephanie. All right. I love it. And so, you know, uh, uh, that is, God is good. And, and, and he has, uh, he knows that man, uh, it's not good for man to, to be alone. And, and so that is sort of what God said uh, to Adam or about Adam. He says in Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, it's not good for the man to be alone. Uh, and then it says, I will make a helper suitable for him. And so uh, it is in the creation account. It's the creation account that, that Paul's referring to in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 when he says in verse 9, referring to the relationship between husbands and wife, and nor was man created for the woman, but woman for the man. It's the word of God. Please don't start throwing darts at me. That's what the Bible says. Um, and, but, but, you know, again, some wives may be offended by this. Being a helper, well, that's not a good thing. It's a lesser thing. Well, that's really interesting. That's one of the names in the Bible for the Holy Spirit. John chapter uh, 16, verse 7, Jesus says, It is to your advantage that I go away. If I do not go away, the helper... Referring to the Holy Spirit will not come to you, but if I go away, I will send him to you. In the Bible, God is referred to man's helper. Jesus is referred to man's helper. I mean, what can we say, women? We need a lot of help, uh, you know? Uh, you know, that's just what the Bible says. So uh, anyway, and so it, it, in, in verses 10 through uh, 16, uh, Paul is dealing with these kind of issues, and he's um, bouncing back and forth between the uh, cultural issue of head coverings and then the role uh, of the husband and the wife in the home. There's some different principles in place outside the home, uh, that I do not believe uh, mirror those that are inside the home uh, exactly. But um, uh, this is just a, a beautiful picture uh, of what a thriving, fruitful uh, Christian home looks like. And then he ends in verse 16. He says, but if anyone seems to be contentious, we have no such custom, nor do the churches of God. And so... Uh, he's, he's pleading with them, don't use your freedom in such a way to create arguments, contention, strife, bickering. Don't do it. And so then verse 17, he switches gears here. Verse 17. Read carefully with me. Now in giving you these instructions, I do not praise you since you come together not for the better but for the worse. For first of all, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you, and in part I believe it. 
For there must also be factions among you that the, uh, those who are approved may be recognized among you. Therefore, when you come together in one place, it is not to eat the Lord's Supper. For in eating, each one takes his own supper ahead of others. One is hungry, another gets drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and shame those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you in this? I do not praise you, for I receive from the Lord that which I deliver to you. That the Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, say, uh, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Now I can hardly think of any scripture, any verses in the Bible which we should pay greater attention to than these verses. And I really mean that. Once again, here, in, in, as he has done several times throughout this letter, Paul uh, is, he really loves these people. He loves them more than life, but he's rebuking them big time. He's smacking them right between the eyes. In verse 17, he says, you know, you guys are coming together not for the better, meaning you're not coming together as, a, as the body of Christ, or as a church. You're not coming together to learn about Jesus, uh, to worship God, or to serve each other, uh, but rather you're just feeding your flesh. It's just all about you. And then verse 20 says, therefore, when you come together in one place, it's not to eat the Lord's Supper. In other words, it's not to have that fellowship, that koinonia with the Lord. Verse 21, for in eating, each one takes his own supper out of others, and others hungry and others drunk. What, do you not have houses to eat and drink in, or do you despise the church of God and shame those who have nothing? And, and, and so um, the church had become just like a social gathering, like a country club. It was like a nonstop picnic just to hang out with people that they liked and, you know, be warm and filled and live off the glow of the church and, 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 and you know... It, it just feeding the flesh. I'm talking not, of course, just about eating uh, meat and, and, and drinking wine. It was just the whole nine yards, just the fellowship, the, just the hanging out uh, with each other and, and, and this type of, uh, of thing. And again, in verse 20, he says, uh, you know, you come t- t- together in one place, but it's not to eat the Lord's Supper. The, their getting together wasn't about God. It was about them. Brothers and sisters, this is the last place where you want to be. But listen, it's so easy to get there. It's so easy to get there. If you're not in tune with the Lord every day, day in and day out, so easy to get to this place. Church will become nothing more than a series of 
get-togethers, fun fellowships, potluck dinners, whatever. And here's the danger. It all can look so spiritual on the outside. Man, you know, there's Bible studies going on and people are having Bible studies. People are singing to God. And they're getting all emotional about it. You're singing to God. You're talking to people about the Bible, about God, about Jesus. Your people are comforting each other. And it all can look so spiritual, even though it's, it's become all about you. You being blessed. You being satisfied. You having your flesh fed. Me being blessed. Me being satisfied. Me having my flesh tingled, whatever. Paul says at the end of verse 22, shall I praise you in this? I do not praise you. And then he goes on in verse 23, for I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you. So now he's going to remind them what it's all about, what it's really all about. He's going to remind them what being saved is all about. I receive from the Lord that which I also deliver to you. That the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Paul's saying to the Corinthians, you've forgotten about the Lord. You've forgotten about Jesus. You guys are so busy with your picnics, your parties, and your get-togethers, you're, you've forgotten about Jesus. And it's an amazing thing I, I notice here as I prepare this message. And Paul is saying, listen, it was, it was so important to Jesus that you never forget him, that he told me. See what it says in verse 23? I received from the Lord. Remember, Paul wasn't at the Last Supper. This was important enough for Jesus, for that, this church to hear this. He told Paul. Audibly. He told him, and he says, uh, he told him, and and he said that Jesus said, this is what Jesus told him, he says, uh, when you eat the bread, remember my body. When you drink the cup, Remember my blood. It was because of love that my body was broken for you. It was because of love that my blood was poured out. My love for you. Remember, don't forget it. I love you. You know, two weeks ago, I went to a Calvary Chapel pastor's conference in Maryland. And one of the speakers was 
a man by the name of K.P. Yohannan. He's a man who has started a gospel for organization called Gospel for Asia. Our church supports Gospel for Asia. It's hard to describe the sheer enormity of the impact this man, K.P. Yohannan, has had in Central Asia, particularly India, Bangladesh, Pakistan, a billion people right there uh, in that area. 15,000 churches can all be tied to this man. And he oversees them all today. In the natural, at least, I can think of no person on the face of the earth who's positioned better to be used to bring worldwide revival. He's a man of enormous influence. So anyway, he shared with the pastors at the pastors' conference a few years ago on his 50th birthday, the, he, he shared a, um, a prayer, a, a conversation he had with uh, the Lord. And, and the conversation said something like this, Lord, I'm 50 years old. And so many good things have happened, Lord, over the past 30 years. But there's so much to do. What do you want me to do, Lord, now? What direction? What, what's the plan, Lord? And he walked and he listened, and God was faithful as he always is. And he said, he heard the Lord speak clearly to his heart. So I want you to love me. I want you to get to know me more. I want you to walk with me. And he said, Lord, what about the tens of millions of people who are slipping into hell every day? What about uh, the countries that have not been reached for you? What about uh, the 10-year plan to save the world, Lord? The Lord said, I'm well aware of those things. As As for you, I want you to walk closer with me. I want you to open your heart up wider to me. I want you to get to know me more, to love me with a deeper passion. And so then this man, K.P. Yohannan, this man of just enormous influence and stature in the world, addressed us as pastors. And he just said, you know, are you so busy doing the work of God? Are you so busy doing the church thing? that you've lost your love for God? Have you forgotten what's most important? Have you become disconnected with Jesus, disconnected with the head? And it was pretty amazing because there was three other speakers at the conference, a total of four men, and, and they each had about an average of 35 years in the ministry and over 150 years combined, serving the Lord and as pastors. For, and for the first day and a half of the conference, uh, they rotated. Each spoke, and then another spoke, and then another spoke. And for the first day and a half, it was amazing. Every one of them, these four men, they each said the exact same thing. Each time they got up. Guy, I know you guys are real busy, but let me ask you. 
Have you forgotten the Lord? Are you remembering your first love? Are you neglecting him? Are you drifting from the one thing, the only thing that matters? Loving him. Spending time with him. Blessing him. Blessing his heart just by talking with him. And so at one point after hearing virtually the identical message from four different guys, uh, some, someone asked me, well, do you think they are just came up with this theme for their messages on their own. I said, oh, no, 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 someone told them to do this. So that's what they do at the senior pastor's conference. They, just, they give them a theme for the, whole contra- uh, for the whole conference, and every one of the pastors or the speakers speaks on that theme. But someone, someone um, actually, they wound up asking the guys, so, you know, was this an assignment? And they said, no, uh, no, we just we sought the Lord. It's to what the Lord wanted us to teach to you and this is what he, he told us to, to talk about. Have you lost your first love? Have you become disconnected with Jesus? Are you just doing the church thing? Are you just on autopilot? Are you sensitive to the Lord and to the moving of the Holy Spirit? It was a prophetic word to us from the Lord and in turn to each one of you sitting here today don't lose sight of the one thing in your life the only thing that matters loving Jesus getting to know him more walking with him now we're going to have communion now as a church and I hope The word this morning has really spoken to your heart about what communion really is. But but before we we have communion, I I want to share with you something that represents what is fundamentally different between Christianity and every other religion. I hate religion. I hate the word. I hate what it does to people. Religion is man's attempt to do many things with a whole lot of energy to stir up God's interest in him or her. If I do this and I do that, I'll get God's attention. I'll get him interested in my life. Well, consider what we just read. Christianity is exactly the opposite. Christianity is God, Jesus Christ, doing whatever he can to stir up our interest in him. So much so that he said, when you eat this, bro- uh, when you eat this bread, remember my body. It wasn't us trying to stir up interest in his heart. It was the, it's the other way around. When you drink this cup, remember my blood. Remember me. Love me. Get to know me. Walk with me. So the worship team, if you can come up, we're going to have communion and...
the worship team is going to lead us in a couple worship songs as they're, as they're sharing. You can, it's, you know, when they begin, you can go back and you can, the cups of grape juice and the, the crackers are in the back. You can go back. We can, we'll have communion together, but if there's anyone in here who has never given their lives to Jesus, has never come to the point in their life where they have said, Lord, I need new birth. I need a relationship with you. I want to make you the Lord of my life. And I want you to come up here to pray with me first before you go back to get the grape juice because communion was something established by Jesus for children of God. And the Bible's very, very clear that not everyone is a child of God. The Bible's very, very clear that to as many who receive Jesus, to as many who believe in his name, to them they give the right to be children of God. It's only then where it is appropriate uh, to be having communion. So as the worship team uh, plays now, if, um, if you're a child of God, go, feel free to go back and, and get the communion elements.